Codependency. It's a term that gets thrown around a lot. And I think what's a little freaky about it is that we all have a touch of this in our lives. So we're not here today to put people in buckets, but to help you make sense of the world around you. And if codependency is part of your world, Caleb has some great advice, as always, on how to shift to a healthier place in your marriage. Welcome to the Only You Forever podcast. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you've been looking for. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Verlinda Simone Gendel. Hey, everybody. This is episode number 107, and we are going to be talking about codependency. So what it is and where it comes from and what to do if you are in a codependent marriage. Yeah, last week we talked about what to do when your spouse offends you. Which I found very helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So there was some great insight there into how to resolve that instead of escalating into conflict, like I could have just done. And if you missed that, be sure to go back and grab it. Also, make sure you hit that subscribe button in your podcast player so you don't miss any of our shows. Caleb. What? What is codependency? Okay. It's actually kind of funny because it's hard to define. Like it's a little, I'm, I don't know. There's just too many people using the word and nobody actually taking enough time to stop and think about it. So, okay. but if you want a succinct, lightweight, but accurate definition, just Google the phrase codependency jokes. And if you've got a good sense of humor and a fairly thick skin and you think this might be you, you may actually find some help there because I just kind of noticed that that sort of cynical take on it highlights some of the common characteristics and features. Oh, Okay. okay. But I also want to be sensitive to our listeners who realize that this is part of your world. And the reason why I'm not bringing those jokes into the show is that for you, it's not a joke. It's serious. Yeah. And it's really hard sometimes. And it's a bewildering world to try to navigate your way out of when you're in this world of codependency. And I think we also should say here too, Verlina, you know, sometimes it's really hard or it's actually really unhelpful to put people in buckets. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Because it's like, oh, hey, you have a label now. So I'll treat you according to your label. Mm-hmm. And that's where something like this can also go wrong because it fails to honor your individuality and your personhood and the fact that you too are created in the image of God mm-hmm. and you are like everyone else, a valuable, fallible child of God. Mm-hmm. So please don't think that we're just trying to stick you in a bucket or give you a label. But what we're hoping is that today's episode will help those of you who are in codependent relationships to begin to make sense of your world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know how you were saying like codependency is tossed around a lot? And people yeah. like label, oh, yeah, this person's codependent, whatever. Yeah. But do you think there's people out there who are codependent and don't even know it? Yes. Like it can go both ways. Yes. Okay. And that's where it can be, you know, some people say no labels, but that's where I actually like them is because I've seen time and again, people are like, there's a word for this. And right. now I know I can go to amazon.com. I can type it in and I can buy a book and get some help. Right. This is kind of like... Well, where it's overused, you know how you read like about a disease in Reader's Digest or something? Yeah. And I always have the disease. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a word for that too, actually. <laughs> I forget what it is. Just but- stick me in a bucket. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm not sure how I got there, but. So we're hoping, you know, for some folks, maybe this will be a starting point. And for others, yeah. you know, this is there and you're not sure what to do about it. But we're hoping that starting with understanding will help you begin to find your way out. Okay. Now, to go along with that, we created a self-assessment that you can download and complete to score yourself, download from our website. It's adapted from a professional tool, but you'll be able to complete this and get a sense of where you're at in terms of the likelihood of codependence being a significant part of your marriage. 
and the way that you interact with your spouse or your family of origin. So if you're really wondering, is this me? Make sure you get a copy of this. And you can get this free assessment by opening your browser to oyf.link slash 107 or by texting the word podcast to 9292 spouse. Message and data rates may apply. Once again, all you need to do is text the word podcast to 9292 spouse or you can find this bonus on our website at oyf.link slash 107. We'll request your name and email so that we can send you a link to download the assessment tool. But that's a great place to get started as well. Now, on that note, Fernanda, it's kind of hard to define codependency. Here's a fairly uh, recent definition from the research. Codependency involves relationship patterns with two people meeting each other's needs in dysfunctional ways. Okay. It makes sense, but it's way too broad. Yeah, because what's dysfunctional for me might be functional for someone else. Don't you think? Um, not necessarily. <laughs> oh, really? Are you trying to rationalize your dysfunctional? Well, know. no, but sometimes I see a couple interacting and I just think, oh my dear. Like that would just so not be me. But there's nothing wrong with it? Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. I just think this is more like... But this is relate... actual dysfunction you're talking about. Yeah, not but just here's like... the thing is we could relate to each other dysfunctionally and it's not codependency. It could be oh, a different issue. Goodness, okay. Yeah, just because it's dysfunction doesn't mean it's codependent. So scratch okay. that definition. I don't even know why I quoted that. All right, here's a better one. <laughs> this is from 98. A pattern of compulsive behaviors. Compulsive means like they just happen. You can't stop yourself. A pattern of compulsive behaviors that is motivated by a dependence on another's approval and is designed to find a sense of safety, identity, and or self-worth. Okay. Now, we kind of start to get some tangible dynamics. And they go on to identify some of the traits and patterns that can be found in here. And we'll try to explain these out a little bit. So codependent individuals, they place their self-esteem in their ability to control and influence the behavior and feelings of others. So if I can manage you to a better place, I'll feel better about who I am as a person because I've got mm. our chaos under control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, let me, let me preface this. This is coming in later and then I'll take your comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this term was first coined out of researchers observing alcoholic families or a family where there was a, the mom or the dad was a severe alcoholic and the other person was like really kind of managing that. They originally called them co-addicts. So if you think about what I just said back in that context oh. now, the ability to control and influence the behavior and feeling of the addict, the alcoholic. Okay. okay. So when I do a good job of that, it's an indicator of codependency. Oh, okay. Whereas actually I need to just let you go experience the consequence of your problem and let you take ownership of it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. I think I'm getting it. So my question here real quick is though, it, this doesn't only happen in marriage relationships. No. Or does it? No, you can have like a, what's called a parentified child. So sometimes a child will be tasked with taking care of a parent. Maybe the, the other spouse is absent from the home. Mm -hmm. So dad abandoned the family, mom's an alcoholic. Oldest child now learns to place their self-esteem and their ability to control and influence the behavior and feelings of the alcoholic mother. Okay, okay. But it's always in a family context then? Typically. Uh, family or romantic. Okay. Do friends do this? Maybe if they get like super BFFs or something. Okay. Or even just BFF level. <laughs> okay. Okay. But the attempt to control, it can actually look like the codependent individual. And remember, this is the person who, quote unquote, doesn't have the problem. Yeah. That codependent individual catering to the needs of the other person. Okay. However, often the codependent individual can never do enough. And the person that they're doing this for, their attempts for them are neglected and resented by those that they cater to. So the alcoholic, again, going with the classic picture here, 
neglects or resents their attempts to be managed to a better place. Right. That makes sense. And so then the codependent person feels inadequate and feels like they need to do more to really fight this problem. Yeah. And doing more often does not work. And so the codependent individual then often turns to denial, to rationalization, to projection. So they're just kind of trying to step away from the craziness of it all and why it's not working. And then Mm -hmm. as these defenses are used more often, the persons become unable to recognize their own true feelings. They're so busy managing someone else, they become unable to understand and take care of their own personal needs. Wow. Like emotional needs. Yeah, but even self-care because I'm so busy caring for the other person. And so that's why the co-addict can look as thrashed as the addict. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. But this is where, you know, I really, you know, when you stop and you think about this, it calls for a lot of compassion for Linda because Mm -hmm. it's so disorientating and it doesn't feel right, but you don't know why. Like you're so Uh, in the thick of this, right? Yeah. And, And you think you're doing what's right. Yeah. There's kind of a normal part of it too, which is taking care of other things is a good thing. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I know in our relationship, I feel better about myself when you're distressed and I can help you find joy again. Mm-hmm. I just make you a bowl of popcorn. <laughs> I just stuff my feelings in popcorn. <laughs> so, but, but the key, the, the difference between that and what we're talking about with codependency is that there is so much catering to happening in codependency that is dysfunctional. And I'm really evaluating... Like if I can't make you feel better, then you, I got to go let you let yourself feel better when you're ready for it. And that's right. now that's your problem. Okay. Right. And yeah. I'm, st- I'm still going to get up and go to work and do what I need to do. Okay. Okay. So that's healthy. Mm-hmm. But unhealthy is where I have to manage that outcome like really tightly. Huh. Okay. So when that happens, there's like this extreme focus outside oneself and there's, you're not able to express your own feelings because that person can't handle them. And there's too much personal meaning derived from my relationship with you. It's almost like it becomes the Messiah complex or the hero complex. Hmm. Okay. Well, good. So let's talk about where this codependency comes from, how they start. It's most common in families that are under a great deal of stress. Now, if you're out there today and you're under a great deal of stress, it doesn't mean that your family has codependency issues, okay? Right. So as I said, originally this was first noticed in families with alcoholics And the family members organize themselves around the addiction with the purpose of protecting the alcoholic that ends up enabling him or her to continue the behavior. Like they're helping this person, you know, not get in trouble with the law, Mm -hmm. not burn the house down, not lose their job. And so all of that managing around that, right? Now, what researchers have noticed as they became aware of that and looked at this happening is that it extends to other family situations where there's major stressors, such as chronic physical or chronic mental illness like a severe Mm. ongoing illness of some sort. Yeah. And again, it doesn't mean that all families undergoing stressful times are codependent. But there's a study from 2000 that looked at 257 undergrad students and it found that students from families with an alcoholic, physically ill, or mentally ill parent tended to be more codependent than those from families without that major environmental stress. Notice I said that they tended to be more codependent, not they were more codependent. Right, okay. Yeah, And so we ask ourselves the problem, well, what's wrong with codependency? The issue is that it hurts the relationship and it hurts the individuals within the relationship, including the person that is codependent. That's why therapists tend to think of this as dysfunctional. It kind of works in the short term, but ultimately it hurts the relationship and hurts the people in it. Okay. And so some of the effects or the outcomes of codependency are lower self-esteem for the codependent person. Okay. And lower perceptions of control, meaning my world seems spinning out of control. When you're codependent, you you really want to control your life as well as the lives of others, but you can't do that. It doesn't actually work. Yeah. 
And so you're left feeling defeated and depressed, even though your life is controlled, as though your life is controlled by the world outside of you. Like you're just the victim of this big spin cycle on the washing machine, right? Yeah. And so folks in this situation have great self-consciousness, like they really tend to focus attention on themselves chronically and a lot. Okay, but I thought the definition up above somewhere was that it's on someone else. They focus their attention on someone else and they lost the ability to even think yeah. about their own feelings. So what's... So when that's gone far enough that you can't fix that other person, you're really sort of... You also begin to analyze yourself. Okay. Is often what happens. Okay. okay. None of these are like have to be there all the time sort of things. Okay. These are typical. Um, there tends to be social anxiety. So again, think about how you're managing the alcoholic through like a church service to make sure they don't embarrass the whole family or Mm -hmm. embarrass you. Think about dysfunctional attachment styles, how we relate inside of our family. So you're very kind of fretting and anxious about the bond that's there all the time instead of feeling safe and secure. Okay. There's often decreased feelings of connectedness in marriage with your spouse. If you have this going on, the actual connection is not there. And this one surprised me. I don't fully understand this, but increased feelings of competitiveness with a spouse. And I'm wondering if that means like you have to win out on arguments or on conflict more, like you, rather or you're than solving compete- the problem. Like if you're, if the spouse is an addict, wouldn't you be competing with their addiction? Like you're trying oh. to win over the... Yeah, it could be. Again, like I, I had a little trouble getting my head around that part. Okay. But I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd note that. And maybe if there's someone out there and you're going through this, you can uh, shoot me a note and help me understand that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something I've seen so far. So bottom line, codependency is not healthy or helpful. It's a real, real challenge. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, what do you do if you're in a codependent marriage? So maybe you've thought through some of these things. You're like, oh my, like this definitely describes at least some of what we going on. Or you filled out the assessment, which you could download and you're wondering, what do I do? So what do you do? Okay. So there's a study from 2012 and in this study, this research study, they created a model to help couples and other individuals struggling with codependency move to a healthier place. And they use uh, this idea, a model called emotional stocks and bonds. So this is a way of thinking about the codependency in terms of investments and returns. And they encourage couples to work through the following four steps. So step one, understand codependency just from this framework of emotional stocks and bonds. So emotional stocks is really the idea of what you give. It's what you invest. It's the emotional time and energy that you put into people and situations around you. Emotional time is how much time you spend focused on your spouse, whether your spouse is there or not, and maybe even whether your spouse is lucid or not. Hmm. It would include time spent together and invested in your spouse as well as time when, like I said, your spouse isn't even there and you're thinking about your spouse. Hmm. So if you spend a lot of time really trying to figure out how to deal with spouse, that may be a signal here. Okay. So these are, this is a lot of giving. It's a lot of investing. It's taking a lot of effort. A lot of emotional strength and energy. You're pouring into something. Okay. Okay. Now, emotional bonds and the bond idea is more related to the idea of being owed something in return. Ah, Yep. This comes from directly from what we just talked about, the energy and the time that you direct towards your spouse. The more emotional stocks you put into your spouse, the more attached and enmeshed you become with your spouse, the more you expect back from them. It's like when you're putting coins in the lottery machine and you keep putting them in and pulling the lever because you expect, I need more and more back. Oh, okay. The more debt that you want the spouse to feel towards you. Yeah. And the more time and energy you put in, the more you want your spouse to respond with the same amount of time and energy towards you. 
And the more attached you become, the more disappointed you are when your spouse does not reciprocate as you desire. Hmm. So the returns aren't coming. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And that's where the, they talk about the two golden rules of emotional stocks and bonds. One, the amount of emotional time and energy directed toward the various areas of attachment in an individual's life is finite. This is just saying the amount of time and energy that I can put towards my bond with you mm-hmm. is finite. I can't create any more of it kind of thing. The time and energy, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I cannot be everything to you all the time, but a codependent person is trying to do that or oh. feels called to do that. Okay. And the second rule is that emotional time and energy are to be traded, mm-hmm. not created or destroyed. So when it's one way and there's no exchange, that doesn't work. Okay. When it's one way, it yes. should be traded. Like you don't keep oh. putting money, you don't keep buying stocks and never get a return on the stock market. Yeah. But this is what the codependent person is doing. Oh, okay. And there's the expectation you have to keep, keep creating this energy to do this, right? Hmm. Emotional time and energy. And so another way of describing codependency is to think of it as emotional overinvesting, where it's like this over-identification with your spouse so that you have decided or you, you predicated all your happiness and satisfaction. You said, all my happiness and satisfaction can only come from my spouse. And when I emotionally overinvest in my spouse, my dependence, my bond to them increases and my bond to other relationships in my life decreases so that it's all about just trying to manage this. I, I lose, like kids huh. lose out, family loses out, friendships loses out, and all your time and energy is just trying to manage you. Huh. Yeah. Okay. It's emotionally overinvestment, okay? So that's a way of recognizing. Okay, just hang on here. step one. You yep. do say your attachment to your spouse increases, and we've talked about attachment in other yes. podcasts and stuff, and I've always thought of his attachment as a very positive thing. Okay. But this doesn't sound like... No. Even though it's increasing, it's not positive. It's not. So attachment happens in a relationship. Yeah. Actually, I need to caveat that too as well, because if you create a relationship and you don't have attachment, it's just a formal agreement. Your roommates in your marriage. Okay. Okay. But there's, there's healthy attachment. There's anxious attachment, avoidance attachment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's also reactive attachment disorder. And those are all bonds. They are attachment. Mm-hmm. So it's not the absence of something, but it's it's dysfunctional. Okay. It's not a healthy give and take. Okay. So this is another one of those codependent attachment kind of thing. Typically fits into one of those other frameworks and has oh, okay. these other features. Okay. Yeah. It's not a fifth style or whatever. Okay. Per se. Okay. So the attachment, like Sorry. the bond does <laughs> increase, but it's dysfunctional. No, that, that okay. need to be clarified. Step two is to really stop and look at the specific ways that you invest your emotional time and energy into your spouse. So you, you kind of, this is where you need to stop and catalog, well, how much effort am I actually putting into this relationship? Because once you understand this model of emotional stocks and bonds and this idea of emotional overinvesting, you really need to stop and take time to sit down and ask yourself some specific questions to build awareness of whether you're overinvesting your finite resources into these emotional stocks and bonds. So how do you invest emotional time into your spouse? Stop and answer that question. And if you can say like, I spend hours just fretting about how to make supper or how to have a conversation this evening or how to get through, you know, a social event on Friday night. Okay. Or if what that, he or she's going to do. In or this. say, or whether I can send the email phrase like this, or, you know, if I spend eight minutes thinking about how to word this text message. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about what you and I do when we got to solve a problem and we want to be delicate about how we handle the conversation. I mean, like that eight minutes is happening 40 times a week, every week of the year, every year of your marriage. 
How do you invest emotional energy into your spouse? Because this takes a lot of work. It's a lot of effort, right? Yeah. And even think, are there occasions when you spend emotional time on your spouse when your spouse was not present? Like just chewing through everything in your mind. Yeah, trying to figure it out. Huh. So these, these kind of need catalog. This is evidence, right? Yeah. And, and you want to understand that. And then the other part though that you want to do is not only what you're putting in, but gain an understanding of your expectations for how your spouse will fill your needs. So this is the bonds coming back to you now, what you expect as a return. Oh, okay. So yeah. are these expectations excessive is the question. Okay. So, so there's five ways to think about this. One is what expectations do you hold for your spouse to fulfill your needs? Just sit down and list them out. What are the expectations that I have for ways in which you're going to fulfill my needs? Now, again, in healthy marriages, I have some expectations that you'll fill my needs. Yeah, yeah. But how desperate am I for these? What happens if you don't, right? So, which is, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. The next questions are, how do you respond when your needs are not met? Okay. Are you able to meet your own needs or do you rely on your spouse to do this? Emotional needs? Yeah. Okay. Can you give to your spouse without expecting your spouse to always reciprocate with the same proportion of giving? Hmm. Do you feel anger and resentment when you do things for your spouse? Not usually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Like sometimes we do, right? But these, when these are significant, ongoing, constant issues, then, then this is what needs assessed, right? Okay. And then what you want to start to do as, as a person in this situation is to develop strategies. This is step four, develop strategies to meet your own emotional needs. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. So how can I stand independently, more independently in the context of our marriage and bring myself to it with those needs met rather than always needing you to meet them? So the codependent is looking for the other person to meet their needs. Very invested in them to try to get this response back and it never comes, which increases the desperate trying. Okay. Right? Yeah. And it kind of comes back to this idea of they're approaching out of neediness, right? So what if I approach out of fullness? Like as a Christian now, I might reground myself in my identity in Christ Mm -hmm. and realize that my needs are met in him and that I don't actually, while I love to be married to you, I don't need marriage to be happy. I would be destroyed if I lost our marriage. Like, don't get me wrong. Right, right. But I see what you're saying. I'm though. not basing the success of my life on this. It's it's too much weight to place on you. Huh. Am I very invested in making our marriage work? Yeah. But that's about yeah. the bond. Yeah. And caring for you out of a healthy place of fullness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. Makes okay. sense? I think so. So what these questions are doing is kind of helping you to identify if you become overinvested in your significant other over the needs of your own unique self. And it's a little uh, yeah, I yeah. see. You, you gotta mm. I think there's like a fine line here and maybe that's what you mean by, you know, these things are present. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's overinvested. Right. But you should be putting the needs of your spouse before yourself in some ways. Yeah. So let's go back to, let's go back to the Bible here. Think of uh, Christ in the church. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. the example for marriage. So if, if nobody responded to his love, Mm -hmm. would he be crushed? And I mean crushed in the full yeah, sense of no. the word. No. Would he be dis- disappointed? Absolutely. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so he didn't predicate his actions or his activities on the other person really always responding to meet his needs. Okay. But okay. he invested that and gave that person, gives us the chance to respond out of love back. Mm-hmm. We love him because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. That's healthy. So he gave out of his fullness and he lets us respond out of the same. Oh, okay. And that's a healthy interdependence in marriage when that goes on. 
Okay. But when it becomes controlling or there's one person taking all of the responsibility for everything that goes wrong in the relationship, or if one person is desperately trying to find their significance and deeply, deeply connecting with the other, then we have unhealthy. Okay. So in a healthy marriage, you want to be able to be alone and be content, Mm -hmm. but also be together and be content. Yeah. And you want to know the difference between my junk and your junk and who needs to own what? That's healthy. Okay. Yeah. It's not the absence of junk. It's just owning it in the right places. (laughs) We all have our own junk. Yeah. You want to keep a balance between giving and receiving. So there's mutuality in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when there's just giving, you're happy with that. You don't need the receiving. Right. But because the other part is going on, it's okay to do that. The other part. There is receiving at other occasions. It's okay to do that, right? It's not all one-sided. And some people are just way better at giving. Yeah. Yeah. And and then you want to be proactive about your marriage and your life and your needs rather than always reactive. You're sort of driven by the the hamster wheel, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Makes sense? Yeah, those are good. I like those four points. Okay. Now, if you find out from today's episode that you may have an issue here, talk to your spouse about it. If you can, I think that's a good place to start. And if you both start, if you both agree this is a great subject, let me start that over. If you both agree... (laughs) If you both agree that it's an issue... Yeah, or worth exploring as it might be an issue. Yeah. That's a great subject to come to a marriage counselor with. Just saying, hey, you know what? We heard this. We listened to it. We're like, oh my, this is like us. Mm-hmm. And and so we want some help. They're saying, you know, we kind of both see some things here that aren't healthy. We'd like to shift towards a better way of relating to another. That's a good thing to work on. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, if I can help you with this, if you'd like to do virtual counseling via Skype video calls, I'd love to work with you. Just reach out to us through our website. And I also would be glad to help you explore this further. All right, let's wrap this up okay. with a review. Maybe I'll make an appointment with you. <laughs> Thanks. No problem. So, sorry, review. Oh, I haven't read this one yet. It says, like an oil change for your marriage, five stars by Ufta. I highly recommend sitting down with your spouse and listening to this podcast once a week and discussing it afterwards. In my opinion, it is just like routine maintenance for your car. It's not designed to fix major problems, but it will go a long way towards preventing them. Thanks, Caleb and Verlinda, for all the work you put into this. We are finding as much benefit from it as we have from seeing a counselor every couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. I think that's a pretty good assessment, too. Yeah. It's one-sided, so you shouldn't expect it to fix major problems. Yeah. Well, we've had a number yes. of people like this that say, you know what, this really helps me actually do my counseling work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, one tip for you, Ufta, is if you can afford it, and I understand that that's not always possible, but if you can afford it, you will get much more traction from seeing your counselor weekly. Oh. Yeah. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Hmm. Not to put pressure on you, but if that's an option, I would encourage you to think about doing that. Why? Uh, because after two weeks, you tend to come back and sort of need to refresh what you were doing two weeks ago and then start your work. Whereas oh. when I work with couples, I'll only work with them weekly Yeah. at the start. Like it, when we get towards the end, we might go every second week just to, yeah. as a weaning process, but at the start, and then they're always on it and they're working through this stuff and it's real and it's live oh. week to week. And it's, yeah. it gives yeah. you a lot more traction. You haven't kind of forgot about it in the back of your mind Yes. before the next yeah. session. Huh? Yeah. Cool. So if you want to get involved in this awesome mission to help save marriages through our podcast, we'd like to ask you to contribute to our crowdfunding campaign to support this podcast. We want to reach 5,000 marriages a week, and we can't do that without your help. And for even $5 a month, you can help us move towards making that a reality. Please go to oif.link slash give to learn more about how you can help us reach more marriages. Once again, that URL is oif.link slash give. And we also would like to be able to acknowledge your contribution there. So please head on over there and we'd certainly appreciate your help. So next week, 
Yes. We're talking about how to create more intimacy in your marriage. And like, these are actually going to be like concrete ideas. Oh yeah, baby. Huh? I'll have to listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oyf.link slash 107. We'd like to reach as many marriages as we can. So if you can refer us to your friends and family, that would be much appreciated. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Nice switch it up there, by the way. Oh, you like that? Fresh language again? Thank you for listening to the OnlyYouForever.com podcast. Please help us reach and influence a wider audience by rating and reviewing our podcast at OnlyYouForever.com slash love. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Can you stop that? Okay, this is why we don't do Facebook Live when we record. Oh, shoot.